right, so the Leafs have uh, put their stake in the ground. Marner has spoken. Keith has spoken. They got all their PR ducks lined up. The fellas went to the podiums. They went in front of the big bad media. The big bad media, which is the true reason that the Leafs have suffered. <laughs> the conspiracy has continued to work. <laughs> they go out in front of the media. And uh, Mitch says this about Sheldon Keefe. This audio. Tonight, uh, I take huge accountability of myself and wanted to be the best player I am every single night. And um, I mean, I wasn't happy with how I played. And um, obviously, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best that I can be every night. And um, when I'm not that, then I, I put a lot on my shoulders that I need to be better. And um, like I said, those two costly mistakes cost us that game. And obviously, the first one's early, but the second one, um, try to make a play. And just got to make sure I'm certain at that point. But um, you know, take a lot of responsibility on myself and the ownership. And um, you know, it hurts me after the games, but it's nice to be back home now um, practicing and, you know, fresh uh, slate here to get going tomorrow. He also uh, called Sheldon Keefe Kiefer and said that he's a great coach and that he's done a lot for this team and that if you look at the numbers, uh, they're great. So things are fine. The reports are there's no rift. The two of them have buried the hatchet and Mitch Marner is taking accountability as one of the team's two best players, which is I think something that a lot of people, a lot of observers have been wanting all along for a little bit of accountability. But here's my read on the rest of the story. I, I think that this is going to be a bit of a compromise, and I still don't know what that ends up meaning. Because it's pretty clear Sheldon Keefe wants Mitch Marner to play a lot. And we know this because he plays more than any other forward in the NHL, including Connor McDavid. And you're starting to hear from a couple of different places that minutes, minutes is the talk. Maybe if Mitch Marner had a little fewer minutes, he'd be a little fresher. Maybe that is part of the problem as well. He accepts responsibility. Keith dials back a little bit on the minutes. This is just me reading the tea leaves, okay? You know, uh, uh, educated guess, let's call it, that we're going to see Mitch Marner's minutes dialed back a little bit here and that this is going to be the story if it ends up working out. My question would be, one, what does that mean in terms of what you're going to be getting from your bottom six? Because, again, it's, it's been a nightmare. I saw the, the charts were out for old Cali Yarncroc yesterday. I took a look at the charts. The charts for old four-year Yarncroc are not so hot. But question number two is, I think compromise is usually a good thing. But I do wonder how this operates moving forward between the two of these guys. Because you can bury the hatchet and you can beat the Philadelphia a terrible Philadelphia Flyers team, let's be honest. It's not a team that they should lose to, especially not at home, especially not given all these other losses. And sure, okay, um, they've lost to some pretty bad teams. But tonight feels like you should be getting a pretty damn good effort from the Leafs. I know we've been saying that for a couple of days, but after all this, a couple of days off, this apparent compromise that's happened between the two, I would imagine that this is what you're going to get. But the next stretch is going to be huge. And what happens when Sheldon feels like he has to throw Mitch Marner over the boards for a few extra minutes, a few extra shifts, and maybe he doesn't feel like he has the power to do so. And if that is the case, how much of this is still that the star players are calling these shots and how much power does Sheldon Keefe eventually have 
And what does this evolve into? A man who knows more than I do, Nick Kiprios, host of Real Kipper and Born, show's been on fire this week. Hey, what's up, buddy? How we doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm well. You all right. Leaf Nation okay here? Well, clearly not. They're seventh in the Atlantic, and even though it's early, they've played horrifically. They've Their stars have played without any, as the fan base gets uh, accused of, without any passion. Um, there's been a lack of engagement. I don't think that any of them have played particularly well, except for, I guess, Tavares, because the expectations for him coming into the season were lower. The blue lines, and uh, as Marner puts it, shambles. Uh, the <laughs> wow, go, They played Eric the Schalgren three times already, and he's going to have to play again this weekend, I assume. Uh, All yeah. right, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Buddy, I have deep breath. I'm just telling you that this is this is just a, these are the realities of the situation. These are the things wow. that are not even opinions. You know what the reality, too, is? Yeah. Uh, so many in the media here just run with anything that they can get their hands on. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching TV the other night, and the lead is, is there a rift between Sheldon and Mitch? Buddy, are you turning and, on the media? You are the media. Yeah, but I'm not. That's not my narrative. That's never okay. been my narrative. I know. But I'm, I'm, is there a rift? And then it's like, no, there's not a rift. It's like, okay, then why did you mention it? Well, why are you leading the witness here on on a rift? And yeah, there's there's some issues here uh, with Marner and Matthews not playing up to their potential. I get all of that, but I mean, now to turn the narrative on Mitch versus Sheldon, it's uh, I the guy plays. 25, 27 minutes. I mean, where would the rift be? Who doesn't want a coach well, to play <laughs> that many minutes? I would say the rift would be in that when Keefe called out the team earlier after the Arizona loss, Marner appeared to be the guy that was most displeased with the comments. And then he just benched him publicly. And I know it was only for a shift because they were chasing the game and he ends up trying to put yeah. him back in there. Yeah. But Marner had a pretty public display of displeasure. Like that's not exactly a run-of-the-mill moment in the NHL and it hasn't been a run-of-the-mill yeah. moment for the Toronto Maple So it's like I don't really see it as a think, narrative JD. that's been crafted. Sure. It's more common than you think. And it doesn't lead to uh, – coaches and players hating each other it just uh it leads to them challenging each other so you think mitch and keith's relationship right now is totally fine totally fine and he's going to come back to him and if they're down or they're in some penalty issues he's going to play him 25 27 minutes tomorrow night so minutes won't continue to be something that is maybe discussed between the two of them and each other's camps yeah, okay. It's like Mike Tyson, right? Everybody's got a game plan until you get punched in the nose. The Leafs got punched in the nose the first 10 games, and now mm-hmm. they're back to begging him to carry the team again. And, and and Austin, to that point, because of that depth that you were talking about uh, on the top of your show and what they were talking about at the uh, uh, beginning of the season has been non-existent at this point. And you just hope that... Uh, those guys will, will kick it in and find a way to chip in and, and alleviate some of that pressure and alleviate some of those minutes. But if the, if they don't start surfacing soon, then what you're left with is Connor McDavid and Dreisaitl in Edmonton and Mitch Marner and, uh, and Austin in Toronto carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. But Okay, so Kipper, I, I was listening to your show this week 
And I'm, I'm a little surprised by your answer just because I think that you were saying that these next five games for Sheldon could determine his future. And so I wonder, like, if they just don't continue to perform and if he ends up being kind of like you view it as a sacrificial lamb situation more than it is, hey, he can't connect with his players or he's doing something wrong strategically. Yeah, we, we're, but we're also getting close to that, uh, that, that cutoff point uh, around American Thanksgiving. And it's just, uh, I don't know, your analytics, your statistics, your percentages that uh, you're, if you're not on the right side there, you run the risk of missing the playoffs. And Leaf, Leaf Nation and MLSC, uh, the board, they can't have that. These are these are critical five games coming up here, and if there are no signs, uh, I don't I don't expect things to stay status quo. Do you think that if they move off of Keith, like let's just play the hypothetical game, that it would be necessarily Barry Trotz? Because I've brought this up a few times, but that creates a pretty strange dynamic for the Leafs because then you'd have to be giving a coach a extension beyond what your general manager has. So if you don't move forward with yeah. Kyle Dubas, then that puts you in the situation where your next GM has to be fully accepting that Barry Trotz is your coach. Yeah. It gives a lot of power to the head coach within the organization and sort of does take a lot out from up top. And it it is a bit strange to me because everything we seem to know about sports today is that the culture is set from up top, that it yeah. it's important to have that hierarchy and it is important to have that structure. And, and to me, that that does throw things out of balance. I wonder if you think that that's actually necessarily the direction should these next five games go, yeah, haywire. Well, where's your balance if it's Kyle and Sheldon? Well, I assume that it's still within Kyle's hands. Like, he still feels like he's running the ship. But where is the balance if you let Kyle and Sheldon go? So you think that could be on the table, that you would move off of your general manager in the middle of a season? Sorry, can you repeat that? Do you, th- you think that's on the table, like that they would move off of the general manager in the middle of the season? Well, would you prefer, like you said, uh, a Barry Trotz type of guy coming in with a four or five year deal at 25, 30 million and uh, a general manager who has no contract next year? Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. This is such a tricky yeah. situation. Every time I think that's about not tricky, then you let Kyle and Sheldon go. And you're 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 not it's not tricky anymore. So then Brendan Shanahan just steps into like a president slash GM mode. Yeah, now you're probably in the ballpark. Yeah, because I can't imagine that you hire someone and go, hey, here, here's this, <laughs> go, go yeah. do something now. Uh, you can make a trade. Use the uh, Jake Muzzin LTIR space. Yeah, that's the first yeah. I've heard that though, man. Because I just, I just, it's always difficult for me to foresee uh, a general manager being fired in season. Think. What? Just keep having me on your show and I'll make you think. Yeah. <laughs> That's to be a first for me. So, okay. I mean, that just opened up a whole bunch of different scenarios. All right. But ultimately, I think that a lot of this, I, I do think that Dubas wears a lot of what's happening right now. Again, I think culture is set from up top. I think that um, a lot of this roster construction, uh, a lot of the way that they're struggling right now. A lot of the sour spots or soft spots with the team, I, I you got to attribute to him directly. Um, Sheldon Keefe doesn't appear to be the number one blame guy for me. To me, this is more of a sacrificial lamb situation. But a lot of this does keep coming back to me, man, with leadership, right? 
Like I, I was talking to James Myrtle yesterday about how part of the reason they didn't want to move off of Muzzin is that they just really loved him in the room. And they liked that he was such a leader and that he was one of the guys that would steady the ship when moments like this were happening. And I, I wonder if, you, you know, you've been around a lot of winners. You've been around a lot of leaders. Do you think that's something that can be created? Do you think that's something that can be really learned especially when it's this point in time, because I really do feel like this is kind of a hinge moment for Matthews and Marner where they either kind of step up, grab the wheel and decide that they're going to drive this franchise forward and set the tone in that dressing room, or they're going to let it slip away, watch their coach get fired, watch the team turn over and let the season go wayward. Well, first of all, I I agree with you with, with Jake Muzzin and he did, have that kind of that that feel certainly coming out of uh la with the stanley cups and coming into toronto playing a a solid shutdown game when he was at his height and and healthy and he was certainly a guy that uh guys can gravitate to and we've heard mitch marner how emotional mitch marner is when he speaks of of jake muzzin being like a brother and uh and how it's affected him now you look in the room and there isn't anyone close to that. And then if you really want to uh, go through the roster over the last few years, who has been in there that has come close to what uh, a Jake Muzzin can bring? Obey Kubel, sir. Uh, um, he's he's no, uh, I'm serious. Yeah, no, there's nobody. Uh, like, I know. You That's know, the you problem. brought in. Patrick Marlowe, he couldn't do that. Joe Thornton couldn't do that. Jason Spezza couldn't do what Jake Muzzin brought mm-hmm. because they've never won. And so now you're 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 going to your leadership group and and even with Austin and and Mitch right now, um, you know, they they've been around a, a few years now, but they they don't necessarily have that that torch that was passed to them by anybody to to calm it down like a like a Jake Muzzin, hmm. and that in itself is a bit of an issue here. So you think that they just it wasn't so much the issue that those guys had babysitters or that they had role models because everyone's supposed to have them in the league, but they just ended up having the wrong guys, and that this well, has created part of this. Because the question I'm kind of asking you is like, how much of that is just your own character as a player, your own personality as a player? The, like the idea that you just, you cannot lose tonight, guys. Yeah, I think that, uh, first of all, like there's a lot of internal, uh, you know, characteristics that uh, can can surface a lot quicker if, if you're shown or, you know, you hang around the right people long enough. Yep. Um, But... I, I think it was an issue. I, I think, like, yeah, Patrick Marlowe was not the right guy to bring in for Austin and Mitch. Not where he was at at the point of his career uh, with his game and and the fact that he has struggled to close out championships in San Jose all those years. Mm. I mean, nice guy to to get an Instagram moment uh, singing in the car with those guys, but helping them learn how to win, mm. not so much for me. Yeah, my, my read on the Marlowe one was that he was supposed to be a culture setter from a, a work on the ice standpoint because of Babcock, right? That that was his guy. That was a, 
a gym rat that was someone that was going to teach them more of the how to handle yourself off the ice situation. The one that still bothers me a bit to this day is Joe Thornton because, yes, uh, you know, you can make the room lighter. And I, I remember talking to Colby about this, about that one. I got this is so weird to be looking back on this given what is happening right now. But the, the Thornton idea was, hey, he would take the pressure off those guys because his presence in the room was going to be just the ultimate shield, that he was going to be there to keep things light and he was going to be there to keep things happy and nobody was going to get down. But, yeah, um, when I do think his about game, it, yeah, his, his game was shot. His game had gone south yeah. by then. And when that happens, uh, you, you lose a lot. Uh, uh, and, you know, if that's the case, then – bring him in as an assistant coach or just find a different role for him, but mm-hmm. you can't put him on the ice uh, playing left wing with those guys and asking him to st- still be the great hall of fame player that he once was. It, it just wasn't fair to Joe. And uh, you know, th- those type of moves didn't end up working out well for the Leafs. Well, especially since but again, to kind of get it back on track is that you're asking those guys to defer. And when they're younger, you think, okay, that's fine. But when is the point where you're supposed to just hand over the keys to the organization and say, you are the drivers of this? And it seems pretty clear that Morgan Riley carries a lot of uh, the voice in the room, that Jake Muzzin did do a lot of the voice in the room, that Tavares, frankly, just doesn't seem to have that, that he's, and even when he came here, that was the book, that he was always going to be a lead by example captain, that he was going to be the do things the right way guy more than he was going to be the guy that stepped up and delivered an emotional plea. But like I said, I really do feel like this moment, this is a pivotal moment for the Toronto Maple Leafs when it comes to those two guys specifically, that Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, like, are we going to see them be able to take on a different leadership characteristics? Like, I actually liked hearing from Marner yesterday, and I thought that he spoke well. And, yeah, people are going to nitpick at that because it's a couple of days of PR, and they get on the same page, and you go out there, and, of course, you take a little bit of ownership. But I think that's a good thing. I think that is what leaders do. And now I kind of want to just see that applied to the ice. Like, if they come out tonight, they they come out over the next couple of games, I'm going to feel like those guys are growing a little bit. If they don't, I'm going to question whether they're going to be able to ever do it. I I think that's fair, for sure. And if... If it did nothing at all for some people, what it did is kind of just put the fire out a little bit, and there's just nowhere to go after that uh, with with the story. And and you're right, uh, Mitch did a good job yesterday, and there are times when Austin's done a very good job as well, just trying to calm people down. But they they can only do that for so long, if in fact that the the support group around them just isn't strong enough for them to carry this night in night out and that's mm. the big question here is eventually where where's your third and fourth line and right now JD we can look at Austin and 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 uh Mitch and ask them to pull a rabbit out of their hat but that that blue line right now isn't mm. playoff worthy you know, they're not magicians, man. They're not David Copperfield here. Yeah, I, I get that. Okay. I do. So I so do. Where is where is the rest of the support group to just hold their own while these guys get to that point where everybody goes, yeah, they're they're back, they're back. But I'd be more inclined to think about that if they were losing games to the Bruins or the Canes. Like if this was the next five games where they play Boston and. Uh, Pittsburgh and uh, who else is in there? Okay. Yeah, like so, th- 
like when they're playing the Ducks and they're playing, you know, the Montreal Canadiens and they're playing the Arizona Coyotes, like it's yeah. just, it's hard for me to really think about the support system, especially like, yeah, when it is the stars. Like, and hey, this is the other part of this, Kipper, and I'm, I'm sorry, but that's what these guys own. If you ask for 11 sheets when you're restricted free agents and you haven't won championships yet, like, I'm sorry, but that's how this goes. Like, you had to know this. I, I think that there's the story of Marner they telling Connor Brown at a wedding that he was going to be traded. Like, you lose your Connor Browns when you ask for $11 million. You can understand the salary cap dynamics as much as anybody else within the organization. Like, there's only so much a guy like Brandon Pridham can do when the guys at the top wanted everything all at once to start it. And so I look at the depth and I say, sure, that sucks. That is really not good depth. But that still kind of ties into the same issue, which is like, all right, well, then your stars need to be stars every given night, and they can't be kind of dogging it and not showing up. (laughs) See, you sit there and you blame Mitch Marner. I do. uh, And Austin and John Tavares for Connor Brown. And I go to Kyle Dubas and Brendan Shanahan and say, you chose not to save enough money for them. And you gave it to this guy or this guy on top of Mitch and on top of Austin. So they, they know where they're at mm. and they know that, that the, 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 the pressure that's on them. And to your point, Hey, listen, it's one thing to lose to those teams, but you have another chance. So you're going to get your answer JD yep. uh, this week. Because yeah. Boston's coming up, Carolina's coming up, Vegas is coming up, Pitt's coming up. You'll get your answer uh, on, on where they are, and then you'll have a better idea of, of what this organization has to do moving forward to save this season. Do you think that they would make a trade before they did a firing? Like, do you there's think that no you could... There's no help out there. There's, there's what? There's no help. Yeah, but I mean, like, there. even just a trade, like, saying, you know what, Pierre Engvall, like, you make $2 million bucks and you've already been healthy scratched, and you've got, I still think it's just the one point, right, in the 10 games it's, or it's 9 the, games? It's the Justin Hall theory. Yeah. You know why he gets being thrown back out there time and time again? I got nobody else. Because you have no one else. Yeah. And that's what you'll do with Engvall. Yeah. So, play him. <laughs> Play him. Suck it up. Yeah. (laughs) See that you should have delivered that. That should be the message to the guys tonight. Like you should have just been brought in alumni association. You come down and give them the suck it up speech. I I would have, that's, I would endorse that. Yeah. Just, Hey, just call me. I'll be there. Hey Kipper. uh, This was fun, buddy. Thanks for doing this today. I can't wait to listen to the show. See you, man. See you, bro. Nick Kiprios, host of real Kipper and born. Obviously, the most interesting thing that he said there is that maybe you both guys go at the same time. And that Shanahan would step into, well, I guess he didn't say that, but the you can guess that that would be the way dominoes go. Is that if Dubas was let go, you're not hiring a general manager right away. You're obviously taking time, but that Shanahan would assume that role. Huh. A lot of people get pissed off at that idea because people think that Shanahan is as complicit, if not more complicit than anyone. So I guess what, what the next question would be, what's even his future? What's his power? Is he going to be the, is, would Shanahan get to hire another general manager? He gets to hire three GMs? Hmm. That feels like some, like, tenure situation like okay so brendan shanahan just runs the leafs in perpetuity he gets four general managers like what's the number of general managers you get 
to me, I still think they're going to ride this out with Keefe that they've made the right decision in not firing him immediately because yeah, at, at this juncture of the season, it would have been the worst message, right? And, and I actually think it would have been a bad thing for those players. You fire Sheldon Keefe and especially after like an outburst with Mitch Marner, 10 games into a season, you look reactionary, but you also look like you're capitulating to your stars again, that you, you take note from those guys and that anything that rattles the, that shakes the boat for them is going to cause anybody else to go overboard. All of so much of this, now I won't say all of this because again, I I mentioned it when you roll a core over and there have been recurring issues with the team that anytime you lose in the way that the Leafs have lost, which is, Lack of showing from your depth, lack of engagement from your stars, bad goaltending, you know, bad backup goaltending or insufficient backup goaltending, right? Slow starts, teams getting to the front too easily, getting roughed around too much. People are going to bring it up. The, the regular season is just a test. It's a testing ground for you to get to the postseason. And by the way, it should be noted that as much as people are saying it's early, like go look at the standings and see how far they are back of Boston already. <laughs> like it's like, Saturday night must win for the standings. You ride this out and you see how these guys respond. And as much as people are going to say this is the huge five games for Sheldon Keefe, it is because guess what? Sheldon Keefe is going to probably be the guy who wears this guaranteed. Everyone else we can speculate. Everyone we could speculate about trade possibilities, Dubas's future, Shanahan's future, uh, whether or not they would ever break up the core four, blah, 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 blah. The guy that is on the hottest seat right now is no one other than Sheldon Keefe because this is just the way things operate. And especially when you are a Leafs team that is as tight up against as the cap as they are. So he's clearly the guy. He's the guy that's going to go over the next five. But I'm telling you, I, the more I think about this, the more it to me feels like this next five games is very much about Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. Yeah, the depth isn't great. It's not. But guess what? They've, they've won with, I don't want to say worse, but not insanely worse. People are talking about Mikheyev already going, oh, Mikheyev is gone. Mikheyev wasn't even with the team for the majority of the uh, first half of the season. Like he was hurt. They've dealt with the Nick Patans in the lineup before. They've had a lot of irrelevant players cycle through their bottom six. They've had over the hill players be in their bottom six. Like just because the name brand recognition has been better doesn't mean that this team has ever been or always been, I should say, the deepest group. And guess what? They've had bad blue lines before. In fact, up until the North Division, essentially, they were always a team with a bad blue line. They still were able to rack up regular season points and they still showed their talent out at the most important times. And right now, the the time you see their best players shine is power play. And then outside of that, not so much. I think it's more of an on ice fit issue with Tavares and with Nylander that it just, they're, they're, they just don't compliment each other. Well, they, they don't bring out the best in each other and it's unfortunate. And I really wish, I really, really wish what we would see is Marner and Matthews split up. Because, like, that would be the ultimate sign of maturity, and that would be the ultimate sign of, hey, let's just try something new here. Let's just, as a group, recognize that maybe the best way to split up the talent throughout the roster is to have Mitch Marner with John Tavares 
And I'm not even sure necessarily that you put Nylander with Matthews. Like, that has always been the thing. But maybe it is a different look. Maybe you are just taking a peek at some of those other guys with a little bit of skill. Like, if you're going to employ the Dennis Malgans of the world, right, you're going to put them on those second lines, those third lines. Or, sorry, instead of those third, fourth lines. I don't really particularly want to see that guy up at the top, right? This isn't an ideal situation. My only point is that I'd love to see those guys make a sacrifice. Because I, I think that's what leaders do. I think that you sacrifice for the group. You take on the ownership. Mitch Marner did that. But that's one thing to say it. Like, who cares? Honestly. Like, yes, it's a fine. He said some fine words in those, that clip we played earlier. He said some fine things. Sweet. Good. Tonight feels massive. You say those things and you lay an egg against the Flyers. Oof. It's, it's, it's hard to believe that you're going to show up Saturday night against the Bruins and Sunday in a back-to-back with probably Shalgren and Nett against one of the better teams in hockey in the Carolina Hurricanes. Two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. You got them back-to-back. Like, what are you looking for points-wise out of that when you're at your best even? When you're, when you're deep, when you're fully healthy even? So, yeah, huge next three, but I think that tonight is going to be a massive tone setter for them because they've been losing to the bad teams and they've been laying eggs against the bad teams and they've been letting bad teams hang around in games, get to the front of the net too easily, not play focused, go out there and do what good teams do and crush them. Set the tone for your team, have a little bit of positive energy heading into a weekend where you need some points and you need to make a statement. And, and the guys who need to make a statement, yeah, sorry, it's not the depth. We kind of know who those guys are. I don't expect the charts to immediately be flipped for a guy like Kelly Yarncruck. But I expect, and I think a lot of people do, to see a, a better and more engaged Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Question is, how many minutes from Mitch? Anyways, let's take a quick break. Let's come right back. Let's have a chat with John Morosi. Uh, Dusty Baker, if John Schneider did that, oof, how hot would it be in the city today? Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Okay, so it's kind of downtime in the city right now. This is the anti-Philly. Philly's hot. Philly's rolling. Philly's got people losing their minds in the stands, watching Bryce Harper just... You guys see that video of the Bryce Harper home run that the fan took? Like, it, it was insane. It was some of the best cinematography I've ever seen. Like, that was Spielberg-level stuff. I went, this cannot be a real video. That's how hot Philly is, is that their fans are making some... They just made one of the best baseball movies. That's way better than Field of Dreams. I watched that video for four hours on a loop or however long Field of Dreams is. I know, sorry, Marosi, I know you like that movie. But that movie stinks. Um, Philly's hot. Toronto's down. Leafs are down. Boy, boy, is it down here. But the man who can bring the, some of the energy, some of the positivity back into my life and yours, John Morosi, joins us now. What's up, pal? How are we doing? Always happy. J.D., I'm outstanding. Uh, yeah, I, I do believe the Leafs will find a way to make the playoffs. Yeah, of course. I, I was going to just – you know what? Let's start with this. What do you look like when you have a bad day? Like, what, what, is, <laughs> what are you like? Like, what, what is it? Like, you, you don't – what do you do? What's, what is it even like? I can't, I can't even imagine it. There you go. Uh, that's, that's a great question. Uh, a bad day for me is, I suppose, when I, when I witness 
uh, acts of, of incivility. That's the, that's that's my uh, or, or or disrespect. That, that, those things those things bother me. And so as long as as long as everybody's being uh, being uh, sort of. Uh, Thoughtful and, and aware of other people's feelings, I'm a, I'm a happy guy. So that's so that that which transcends results of any sporting events. Uh, I, when I see examples of good sportsmanship, uh, I'm a happy guy. Yeah, I I know you are. Um, and guess what, dude? You know, rudeness. I think we're very different, probably in the way that we receive it, which is that I give it back. You, I'm guessing still give a smile and then carry it silently throughout your day in a very upset way. Like I'm a, you don't even hold, you don't hold the door open for people. I'll be like, Hey, thanks. You know, I'm that person. So yeah. I, I don't know. If we're I, I just sort of choose not to engage. Yeah. I find, I find that, <laughs> I, I find that to be the most yeah. effective strategy yeah, that I, that fun. I can. You yeah. I just try to think, I mean, my, my one little, yeah. and honestly, this is where I, I do. I am grateful JD to work in sports because yeah. It just it takes you to, to lots of different communities, lots yep. of different people, and uh, it's a pretty cool way to uh, to engage with the world. Is how I found it. See, this is I told you you pick up my mood because you just get it, man. Like you just get it, and that's a hundred percent correct. Um, how shocking was it for you to see Santa cheered in Philly? Like that's how that's how happy they are there now. They're happy. They're upbeat. They, they uh, the Eagles are undefeated. Uh, the yeah. the Phillies are now up in the World Series. Uh, I I love. That's one of my favorite ballparks. I I, I do really enjoy uh, the energy in South Philly. The, the Philadelphia fans are passionate, and that's one of the things I love about uh, the just the city and, and the people there is how much their teams matter. Uh, it, it does remind me a bit uh, of my hometown here. You know, here in Michigan and in Detroit. But it's the the way that the way that their their teams are so important to the identity of, of the city has always really impressed me. And, and you can tell that, that gritty nature of this team has just clicked with, with, with that team right now, with that fan base, the, the way they carry themselves. Uh, it's, it's been perfect. And, and that's where Harper, for me, is, is it really embodies this team so well. And last night, certainly there was a lot of talk about uh, what he might have been picking up with, with Lance McCullers Jr. The reality is Harper is a superstar who, who pays attention to the small stuff in the game like a grinder. And, and those, those are special players. The, the players who have otherworldly talent and an eye for nuance, that's, that, those are the Hall of Famers, and that's what he's going to be. And that's why he's got his team now two wins away from the World Series. Okay, so I, I wanted to talk to you about some – I think that they're kind of cliche, but they're also a little bit bigger. But I, I do – I can't tell if it's just me. And I, I know it's harder to have this conversation with people who already love baseball, but – I've been thinking a lot about Bryce Harper and the Astros and just how the Astros are so important to baseball right now because they just unify fans against them still. Like, people have opinions on the Astros. People don't like the Astros. They don't root for Altuve. They love seeing Lance McCullers Jr. get, like, destroyed yesterday. Like, who who is rooting for Lance McCullers Jr.? When he's turning around and he's doing the, like, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy might be... He's not in Garrett Cole territory of, I think, people want to see him get shelled. But he's up there. He's a familiar guy. This is a familiar team that has been in this spot. And this is why I've always liked dynasties for sports and why I've liked teams that just have success over the years is because it's, it's like a, any television show, right? You keep the same characters. You keep the same consistency. Then people are going to get to know it better. There's a reason why, you know, you can't just be in love with The Wire after one episode. You're in love with The Wire after a couple of seasons. And that's what the Astros are. Conversely, 
I don't think that we've had a team on the other side of them, though, that's as interesting and compelling as the Phillies and as lovable as the Phillies. And there they are, too, with unquestionably one of the faces of the game, like someone people want to see at bat. Do you feel as though this is actually a bit of a moment for baseball, like that this this is actually, I know it's the World Series, so it is more national, but that this is kind of a big people investing in the stories of the game moment because I, I just, I can't remember liking a World Series this much um, actually since, uh, yeah, the, probably the first Astros World Series. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great way to describe it. Harper is a, a polarizing figure uh, to some extent. Uh, and, and by that I mean early on he comes up, you know, 16 years old, cover of SI, leaves high school a year early uh, to go into junior college and, and, and that sort of brashness that he's always brought, at least at the, at the younger years. And I think there was a time, it's, it's so funny, J.D., because there was a time in his career where he might have been in the past a little bit overrated, and now I think he has been underrated for a period of years. He had an MVP season that seemingly no one wanted to talk about, and he was an MVP, and then he, he gets hurt this year, comes back, and, and shows a ton of grit. I thought it was a great point uh, made last night um, uh, by, by one of my colleagues uh, on, on Twitter about how this was, in, in the case of Harper, he, he is not even able to throw a baseball. He is the DH because he cannot throw. And, and yet, look at what he's doing offensively. It's a remarkable story about what he's playing through. This is, this is, and then he gets the, 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 the hit by pitch, knocks him out for a couple months. He comes back. This is a Stanley Cup playoffs playing with two broken bones level of toughness that he's bringing right no. now. And, uh, and he, he loves the game. He is, a, he is an absolute superstar grinder. And, and that, to me, is, is really, really laudable and something that we should uh, get behind and really credit him for. I mean, he's, the way that he's representing the game, he loves, he loves the grind, loves being out there, and still has supreme talent. And it, it seems as though, for me, J.D., you, know, you blink, and he's been in the league now for 10 years. He is a 10-year veteran who is basically, yeah, I mean, like, like you're, you're a 10-year vet at roughly the age of 30. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty remarkable thing to be able to say. And, and he now has that, that sort of old man wisdom and what is still a, a young person's body. I, I just, I think he's, you know, and he made a tough decision. You know, he leaves the Nationals. They win the World Series right away. You know, that's, that's a shot to your ego. And I, I really admire how he has matured and, and become this, this, this superstar in full where, where he's done a lot of living at a very young age that we've had a chance to watch him grow up before our eyes. And, and it's a pretty powerful thing that when, you're, when you leave a team and they win right away and you have to kind of come back through injury, make a new identity, barely make the playoffs, and just continue to will your team through the playoffs. I, I, I've been very impressed by the way Bryce has represented himself and the sport against a team that, to your point, is probably easy for a lot of fans to, to not like in, in the Astros. So he all of a sudden has become a, a one-time person who's a, a bit polarizing to now the people's choice, and that's quite a journey to describe. Yeah. Uh, I'm also 10 years on the job now and still a young person's body. Uh, That's right. That's right, J.D. Well done, my friend. 
Yeah, Bryce Harper and I just, you know, a lot kindred spirits. A lot, a lot of people have been saying that, John. Like a lot of people have been making that comparison, and I just thought, you know, I would at least acknowledge it today. Um, no, I. JD is, the, JD is the Bryce Harper of Toronto sports radio. I love it. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's see, you can clip that, Austin. <laughs> that's the I didn't say it. John Rossi did. A reporter, by the way, uh, like a distinguished reporter, national reporter. Um, this is one thing I've been thinking about too. Is do you think Bryce Harper right now is more popular? In Philly than Jalen Hurts? Because Joel Embiid's out. It's it's between those two mm. guys. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah. I, I think right now, when you're on the on the verge of potentially winning a World Series after being gone from the playoffs for a decade, mm-hmm. I, I think he is, he's probably the most popular athlete in Philly right now. Right. I, I would uh, grant you, I do not, my my awareness of the NFL is 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 minimal, uh, but I I do know who Jalen Hurts is. Yeah. Uh, I know that he plays for the for the Eagles, <laughs> so that that much I know. But I I would say that Harper is uh, right now the most popular athlete in Philly. I think that's that's a fair statement to make. Yeah. And by the way, I said this to Ben yesterday. I I, I am well beyond being concerned about the World Series going up against Thursday night football or Sunday night football. Uh, to that I say. Who cares? This is no. our championship. I love the game of baseball. Sure. I, I make no apologies for it. We shouldn't worry about what else is being programmed. This, if, if, you, if you can't get excited about this World Series and get invested in it, I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't do anything for you. We're putting together a pretty great product on the field. It's been fun, compelling storylines, compelling personalities. Uh, this is, to me, the best thing going in sports right now. Yeah, uh, you know what? I can tell you that I agree with you because I gravitate more to this World Series right now than anything else. And when I have a Leafs game to watch, or uh, it feels like more compelled viewing for me than watching this World Series. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm extremely interested in it to the point where like I, I was at the bar on Friday night and uh, the Phillies were making their comeback and I was actually like screaming in the bar and I'm like, all oh, right, I'm in Toronto and this is like, there's no volume on this bar. People are not, you know, right. like we're not all watching exactly. this together in the same way. But this is where I was going with this though, John, is if you are the most popular athlete in a market like Philly, like, you know, this isn't a casual sports fan market. Um, it kind of feels like Bryce Harper is sort of becoming the face of baseball. Like Aaron Judge, I think, is still kind of that guy in his free agency. It'll perk up and make him the story again. And maybe, you know, you have thoughts on that too. But I just, I really do feel like sports in terms of getting casual viewers. And I do care because the more casual viewers there are under the tent, the more I can talk about the things that interest me like this. So I very much care about people being invested in these World Series and people actually caring and people wanting to see Bryce Harper. Um I think that he has the power to bring more people in under that tent. And I think that's exciting for baseball that like they have created a, like a, a, a star that he has really broken out as a national star from this postseason. I agree. And, and I think that uh, I'll make a couple points. Number one in baseball, I think more than more than any other sport, at least of the four major sports that I can think of the, the your stardom is truly linked to playing at this time of year. Uh, Connor McDavid is, is Connor McDavid. It certainly would help if the Oilers won the Cup in terms of uh, maybe the way he's viewed in, uh, in Georgia, in Texas, you know, here in the States. But he's already a massive star, even if he doesn't win the Cup. I think in, in this case, you become more of a recognizable, enduring name if you, if you play deep into October consistently. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you showed... 
the, the, the casual sports fan right now a photo of Kyle Schwarber and a photo of Mike Trout, there might be a lot of American baseball fans who know Kyle Schwarber more than Mike Trout because Schwarber has now been on deep playoff runs multiple times with three different franchises. And, and I think that, that is where you make your legend in baseball in this country is by having October moments. Derek Jeter is Derek Jeter, I think in large part, not just because he was playing shortstop for the Yankees, but because he was playing on your television set every year around Halloween for a decade plus. That's, that is the magic of, of who he is. Um, and I think that Bryce Harper, this is his first World Series after being on the cover of SI, and he was a national name for a while, mm-hmm. but it gets cemented when you're in the World Series. That is an essential part of, of what makes you relevant and an enduring person in the sport of baseball. And that's something that Mike Trout is still having to deal with. You know, he has won. He has been a part of as many MLB postseason wins as the two of us. That's it. Yep. Zero. I mean, that's, that's the reality. And so I think that as long as that's the case, there's going to be a, a ceiling on how, how popular he is, how, how popular Mike Trout is in the American sports consciousness, whereas I think Harper has just he's, – he's been there at the outset. He's been a part of some postseason teams. But now that he's broken through, he's achieving another level of stardom to where I think right now he is – the face of the game, and certainly we'll see. And Aaron Judge and free agency will bring his profile back. And uh, but I think for right now, there is no greater name in the sport than Bryce Harper. I'm going to spend the next ten years of my radio career, podcasting career, dunking on Mike Trout for being such a loser and staying with the Angels, despite any uh, evidence that they were going to be able to turn things around. And that, yeah, I just I, like I never want to hear about him being the greatest player, whatever. When if he never plays in meaningful games, like I, I just can't have it. So speaking of legacies. Um, the Astros, if they lose this, and one guy in particular I, I want you to really think about is um, Justin Verlander. He gets, like, if he right. gets beat up in another one of these games or he just doesn't even you know, provide a win, what do you think the fallout's going to be for him? Because I feel like the Astros have enough young guys. Like Alvarez isn't going anywhere. Pena isn't going anywhere. They're, they're still going to be around this. I would figure that they're going to get back to another World Series. But Verlander, I'm not so sure. Well, a, a couple things on him. Number one, he's he's probably going to win the Cy Young, so it'll be his third. So that that'll be the if they lose it, that'll happen in a couple of weeks, and it'll be a nice little pick me up after uh, after a loss if they lose. Um, I I do think to your point, the the lack of of having won a World Series game is a significant demerit on on his career record. I mean, it's it's there. And he's got one of the highest ERAs in the history of the World Series among those with a sufficient number of starts. Yeah. Um, it is it is a, a vexing part of his legacy. And the game one start in particular, you've got a five nothing lead at home. You you there you have no business losing that game. None. And that's not the fault of Dusty Baker, not the fault of anybody else. It has, you know, that game right there has nothing to do with 2017 or anything else. You just you lost a game you should have won, period. I mean, that's, there's no other way to look at it than that. Um, he's a free agent. He can opt out, obviously, and there's, there's the ability for him to, to, to seek uh, potentially a, 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 a new future somewhere else. 
uh, we'll see what he does. We'll see who's even calling the shots for the Astros. They, they may even change their GM. We don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty right now, uh, J.D., in terms of the Astros. But for, for Verlander, he is, still, he is still an all-time great, still a Hall of Famer, still a generational talent, and he still has a World Series ring from 2017, however controversial that was. For sure. But if, but if he doesn't win one now, you know, over the balance of the rest of his career, there's always going to be that statement of, yeah, but the only World Series you won has the asterisk to it, and what does that mean about your legacy? No question about it. And, and, and you've not won a World Series start. So he, he is facing, from where I sit, J.D., a career-defining start I agree. In game five, uh, to be able to, to rewrite a different part of the narrative, because right now that narrative is not especially kind to him or his team. Yeah, um, I just, I guess after that game one, I went, how has this guy escaped what Price got or what Kershaw has gotten? And I just have felt very, very much like you do right now, which is, huh, I wonder, that's going to kick up if he gets shelled. In his next outing, if the Astros lose this World Series and maybe he's not back and who knows where he lands in free agency. But, yeah, you're it just I, well, I think Price, that becomes more to of be him. fair. Price was a key part of the Red Sox winning in 18. No, that's what I'm saying. He, he got it. He got that yeah, monkey exactly. off his back like it was gone. He should have won World Series MVP. I still think to this day that the people who voted on it were just so bitter to give up that narrative that they gave it to Pierce, which was, come on, give me a break. That was the David Price World Series. I still, the Kershaw one is the bubble championship. I, I nitpick, but yeah, again, I think some people are more friendly than me, uh, but Verlander, like, this is it, man. This is a, this is a big one for you. Um, quickly, uh, we only have a minute. Do you think that Verlander is still someone the Blue Jays would be pretty hot to trot for uh, if and when hmm. he hits free agency? Great question. I think for me, the Jays definitely need to address their rotation. Um, I, I just given Verlander and where you know where where he makes his home in the off season. Obviously, he's got some connections to California, some connections to Florida. I I would be a little surprised. I think if 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 he signed with the Jays, I would I would not rule it out. Uh, and I'm sure they'll make a phone call and, and, and court him. I would say the Braves made a real effort uh, to bring him in last offseason. So I, I do think he's, he's of the mind that he'll, he'll be interested in, in shop around. Uh, I just don't think that that's where he would wind up. I would say that of the available free agent options, I would, if I was a Jays fan, I would get a little bit more excited about a Carlos Rodon than I would necessarily a Verlander. Just, that's just my view of things at the start of the offseason, but I, I think that's uh, where I would preference my, uh, my free agent pitchers. I would uh, key in more on Rodon. Hey, John, thanks for giving me the serotonin boost today, buddy. I appreciate it. My pleasure, J.D. Always love our conversations, and we'll, we'll catch up again soon. Do not fret about the Leafs. They're going to be just fine. Okay. Uh, that's where you have no credibility. Uh, I just, you're too happy. You're too positive. <laughs> it's too, he's too positive for that. I, I can't, I can't have that one. Not from Morosi. Like if John, when John tells me it's bad, then I'm going to like John, John's one of those people where if uh, you asked him about someone and he was like, no, he's, he's okay. That you're, then you know, that person stinks. Like, if he doesn't have a three-minute answer on why someone's great, that person sucks out loud. What a beauty. I, I love that guy, honestly. And just, I, like, I've 
met him a few times, and every single time, it's that. Like, that's on. I don't know how he's not exhausted. I'm tired. I get tired. Anyway, Verosi, that's an awesome guy. And, yeah, I know how fun this World Series has been because that, that John knows things, and I didn't even get time to go further into the Rodon thing, maybe down the line. But, you know, I saved those kernels. I put those little kernels in the brain, and they pop up from time to time down the line. Uh, but, yeah, I, I only care about this World Series. I didn't even get to the fact that Dusty Baker screwed his team over last night. Like, I, iconically bad managing by Dusty Baker. And, again, this just gets back into what I always say. It's just this ties in with the Leafs, everything. Um, it's not the coach. It's the players. The coach can usually only hurt you if he's not helping the situation. He's usually not helping the situation. Last night, Dusty Baker, woof. Your pitcher is tipping pitches in a massive way, getting shelled. You let him face the top of the order again while it's still a ball game, while it's still within reach of what we've seen comebacks in the series? Oof. Yeah. Dusty. Oof. Oof. Quick break. Very short break. And then, uh, hey, Leafs. At least you're not the Nets. Bobby Marks next. So... Really, the only positive spin you can have for the Toronto Maple Leafs right now is that it's not as bad as things in Brooklyn. <laughs> it's just facts. Toronto Maple Leafs, not the most dysfunctional franchise going. Not even close, in fact. Uh, Bobby Marks, one of my favorite guests. Uh, ESPN front office insider, former GM of the Nets. Uh, good morning, buddy. How are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, here's This Nets story is so layered that... I, I genuinely, like, I really had a tough time thinking about where to begin. But let's just start with this. Why put Nash through all this if the guys wanted him gone during the offseason only to have this go down a couple of weeks into the season? That's a great question. I mean, it's easier to kind of start fresh um, with a new coach. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. I think some, part of it certainly is that they probably didn't think Ime Odoka was going to be available. Mm. <laughs> I think that's part of it. And they gave, you know, certainly Steve, um, you know, a little bit of a window to see if, you know, if this ship can go in the right direction. And after, I guess it was seven games, they realized that and knowing that Boston is going to allow him out of his contract, um, they're basically, you know, this is basically kind of the last resort here, right? It's like just basically seeing if, you know, he can save what you already have, which is certainly a sinking ship in Brooklyn here. I don't think he can. Mm. Um, I don't think, you know, everyone's saying, well, look what he did in Boston. And I said yesterday, you know, like that Boston roster is different than this Brooklyn roster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot different. It's not even close here. So I do think that's probably the, you know, the thinking from the front office is that, you know, we wanted to give Steve an opportunity. We didn't think Ime would have been available. That came about a week before training camp, and uh, and here we are right now. Yeah, uh, I do love the idea of, you know, Ime is reportedly a very uh, hard-handed guy, heavy-handed guy, uh, wh- whichever it's supposed to be. And him with Kyrie, uh, yeah, I think that's a part of this is an indicator of maybe Kyrie's not around for too long. But do you think that, yeah, that part of this is the Nets acting in good faith? Because, yeah, it really does seem like if – this is kind of like any breakup. If you date someone new right away, then you have to be a little suspicious of how long those two people have been talking. And for the reports to come out about Ime Odoku, like five seconds after Nash is let go, did raise an eyebrow. Well, sure, especially that you have to, you know, I mean, it's not like you're, it's, it's a normal candidate. I mean, this is a, 
you know, beyond unique situation where you're basically have to, you know, you're digging in and doing your due diligence for a player that uh, a coach that took a team to an NBA finals and is now suspended for workplace misconduct. So, I mean, that's another layer. <laughs> I mean, that's another layer to everything else that is going on here. So like I, my big thing is, is that, if you ever get to the point where this is going to have to get blown up, and I think it is, is Ime Adoka the right coach for the future? Like, it's, you know, I, I understand hiring him now, basically trying to save what you have um, because you think he might get through to Kyrie or mm-hmm. implement a defense here. But what, what happens if we get to a point, and I, and I think it's coming, or it should be coming, where you say, you know what? We've had enough of Kyrie. We're just going to send him home. We'll figure out something at the trade deadline. Um, event, you know, we're going to move Kevin Durant eventually. Mm. And now you're basically kind of wiping the slate clean. Is he the right guy? And is this kind of a panic move here? So I think that's – we'll see. I mean, there's a lot that still needs to be answered here. But, um, yeah, it's not good. Not good in Brooklyn. No, and okay. I was going to ask about Nash's future, but we're we're on it now, which is the Kyrie piece of this puzzle. Um, yeah, it it feels like there like there are some reports out there that Kyrie is still continued to be shopped, like that he's still very available. Um, do you Joe Sy comes out and publicly uh, like criticizes him for his his tweet? Uh, Kyrie is in a world where now his general manager has to say, uh, like, tough position for Sean Marks to be put in. I get it. But, yeah, he's not speaking to media so that we can let things calm down a little bit. Like, this doesn't seem like a calm down a little bit situation with Kyrie. Um, Yeah, do you think that maybe they don't wave so they don't wave him ever, that it doesn't get to that standpoint? Because this is tough. Like, I just can't imagine having your new coach and who already comes in with a lot of questions and your organization still having to deal with all this Kyrie stuff day to day. And and I do think that his actions over the last week do merit just not being a part of the organization anymore. Well, I guess you could probably look at it in two different ways. Um, You know, certainly – he may being there already in Brooklyn at one time, and there's probably a relationship with with Kyrie Irving. But I mean, Kyrie Irving has recycled through what how many head coaches in his career? Um, there's a track record there. I, I just can't believe that the Nets allowed him to be on the court based on what happened over the weekend. I, 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 I mean, I don't like. I mean, I, I, the whole situation is so bizarre. We have an owner. That comes out and says, "What it's bigger than basketball." I don't see anything that's been done here. Uh, we have a player that's endorsed a, you know, a, a film. Hey, whenever you retweet or like or send a link out, you are endorsing something here. And we have the NBA who refuses to put his name out in a statement. We have the Players Association where he's a vi- the vice president refuses to put his name out in a statement here. And we haven't had any NBA player criticize him like I, I just like Reggie Miller was right l- last night you know like we we work in a world and you know with the NBA and we're counting and racism and equality we there's 450 members that have said boo they mm-hmm. have not said anything at all here so it amazes me and that's why I said yesterday on TV like enough's enough like how many more opportunities is this guy going to get and why is everyone afraid of him but that's why, I don't understand why everyone's afraid of Kyrie Irving. No, I, I don't get it either. And that's why I, I don't understand the Nets' position not to simply waive him. Like, he clearly doesn't hold any value around the league. Teams aren't going to be giving up massive assets in order to acquire him. Like, I guess what, what the hope here is that eventually the Lakers decide that 
they'll give you a pick and you can take the Westbrook contract. Like, I, I don't know what the, the long game is that's worth the damage that you're doing to your organization, to the credibility of your players, to the credibility of your management team. Like, again, all of this silence, yes, it's it speaks volumes around the league to me, and I, I think that your point is really well taken, but I don't see how it doesn't impact anyone more directly than Durant, than Joe Sy, than Sean Marks. Like, everyone around the Nets, the longer they go quiet around this, the longer that they try to minimize the, the damage that Kyrie Irving is doing and how painful his comments were, or his actions were, I should say, and then his comments subsequently, again, with Nick Friedle, Um, I just think you become more and more complicit, and it, it gets harder and harder for them to get out of this hole. Well, I mean, I just thought, and I know Sean's in a tough spot here. I just thought it was interesting what Sean said yesterday about him not being available, at least, you know, the last couple of days with the media, basically because he can't help himself. Oof. He can't. They, the, the Nets can't roll him out there because they do not know what he is going to say. So you can't, I mean, I get it. Like, I'd love to hear what Kyrie Irving says, but from an organizational standpoint, you've got to protect your franchise. And you cannot put that guy out there to talk to the media because you don't know where it's going to go here. Like we saw, um, I guess it was Saturday night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess there's probably two things you're looking at. Can the Yudoka relationship with Kyrie, can his coach get through to him? Um, Kyrie was not good last night on the court. I mean, like he, like that was the worst I've seen him play in a long time. Just lethargic, didn't seem like he wanted to be there, uh, defended. You know, he scored, what, four points, um, was two of 12, like that part of it. Like, so if he's going to play like that, wh- why is he there? Like, what do you need him for? And I would have said this, if they were six and one and he, he said the same thing, I would have said the same thing here. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you've got to stand on your principles and maybe you are waiting for a Lakers situation to implode and you can salvage something for, because obviously this guy is not part of your future. If he was part of your future, you would have probably signed him to an extension in the off season. Do you think he's a part of anybody's future? Like what, like I, again, I don't understand how he is a commodity now. It feels like the only team um, from my vantage point that would be even remotely interested in him is the Lakers. Um, because of like just how desperate they are. And uh, that's a tough spin for them now too. Like you bring in Kyrie after all this, especially if he is waived and he doesn't continue to just backtrack his comments and apologize, which really doesn't feel like the, the way that this is going. Um, yeah. What, what's his future in the league? Because it, it just kind of feels like this could end up being it very, very soon, like much sooner than we all anticipated. Yeah. I mean, I think the days of a 35 to $40 million player is out the window. I mean, I mean, there'll be somebody out there. Everybody Mm. thinks they can rehabilitate somebody, um, whether it be, I don't know, at the trade deadline, but in the off season, you know, if he's out there as a free agent and you can get him on the cheap, there'll be somebody, there'll be some coach out there that, you know, that Mm. thinks that he, they can help him and, rehabilitate his image and he's the missing piece. And you know, if you, if it's $5 million or $10 million, there'll be, there'll be, I mean, we see it all the time. There'll be some, 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 uh, you know, team out there that would go out and probably sign him. So let's say they do the full benching of Kyrie. They tell him, we don't want you around the team or they, they do find a suitor. They wave him. I, I don't, I don't know. I does feel like everything's on the table, especially given what could happen with his next moves. But do you think the plan in bringing in Udoka is even more so like, okay, we know Kyrie is a wildcard piece here. Let's not count on him. But we are aiming to try to right the ship with Kevin Durant. 
rather than, hey, MA is here for the long haul and the next domino is actually going to be shopping Kevin Durant again? Well, that's the thing, right? So you would think when with with this, you know, imminent hiring that this is the guy that's going to save, you know, Kevin, you know, from Kevin Durant asking out again. I don't know if that's going to work. I think it also is the the point where, like, is he the coach that, you know, with Ben Simmons? I mean, Ben Simmons is, you know, he's the probably the piece to all of this where this Nets team goes. I mean, we've been saying that at mm. nauseum here. Like, we, uh, yeah, I mean, like we've all said. During the summer, on paper, this team is really, you know, there's teams talented. They got Ben Simmons and Joe Harris and Curry and all these other pieces. Like, Joe Harris is a shell of himself, and Steph, and Seth Curry can't stay on the court. So now you're looking at, and TJ Warren, we haven't seen in two years. Yeah. So now you're looking at Ben Simmons and what I've seen in five or six games. My goodness gracious. Like, he doesn't want to touch the ball. No, if he's your, you know, the missing link, to, you know, or, you know, that this team will win 30 games this year. I mean, that's the reality of it here. So if you can't get the Ben Simmons from two years ago, then where do you go? And that's why I said yesterday, like, eventually you are going to have to wipe this thing clean and restart. And I know they've given up so much in the hardened trade with the draft picks. You can't keep on chasing what you've already given up. You're never going to get those picks back here. So this front office has shown, and it will take a little bit of time. I don't know if they'll have time on their side, too. I mean, that's a little bit different than when Sean took over in 2016, where they can rebuild. They're good at finding talent here. Um, they're good at drafting. So um, we'll learn a lot. I mean, I think the next month will be a telltale what happens. Well, do you, so then it seems like you think Sean Marks could end up surviving all of this and that he's the guy to pivot them out of it. Because, yeah, I just uh, it feels like everybody... To me, again, as an outsider, you look at this situation and you just say, all of this has to go. Like, this just has to be burnt to the ground. I think the only way that Sean probably doesn't survive if he goes to to Joe Psy, you know, a month from now and basically says, like, this, you know, this, it didn't work. Yeah. Like, it didn't work. Like, we've, and then, you know, and I think from ownership, then you have to look at, well, who's going to be that guy that takes us in that next, you know, the next step of this organization here is, you know, would it be Sean or would it be somebody new here? But I think, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think for now, I think, you know, if, if Sean wasn't going to be there, they wouldn't allow Sean to hire Ime Adoka. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality of True. it here. And it's not like, it's not like a substitute teacher. I'm sure there's going to be a, you know, a long-term contract here. It's not, I don't think it's a seven month deal to just try to fix this. So if Kevin Durant hits the block again, what do you think the demand will be around the league? Well, I mean, I think it helps, and I, and I said this in the offseason, I think it helps his value more when he's on the court, right? Like, mm-hmm. you've seen him. I mean, he's yep. still, he's a talent. I mean, he can put up 30 with his eyes closed here. Well, yeah, I don't know the if there'll ever be a homework. Yeah, I don't think there'll ever be a home run package out there. Um, mm-hmm. their trades are hard in the, in the season, especially when you got a guy making 44 million dollars just because there's so many things involved here. Um, so yeah, there's, there's high, I think there's a value here, but I think if, you know, if Brooklyn is always going to look out for that home run package, you're going to be looking forever. And, you know, it's funny, like, you know, Toronto, like the guys that we've talked about are, are you know, I mean, besides Scotty, take him out of the equation, like Pascal, he's on the verge of probably making all NBA. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can put him up there and, so, you know, what's left of that group? Um, you know, why would you want to shake it up um, for a team that I think, you know, will, will be a top 16, top five team in the Eastern Conference here? So there'll be value for Kevin. It's just a matter of like how much, you know, if they ever get to that point, teams will want to give up. I, I genuinely am at the point with watching Siakam and with just KD, 
how he's just not happy for it's just so many years of being not happy that I like I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I and I've said it before that if you could trade Siakam for Kevin Durant, you'd be nuts not to do that. And now I'm I'm genuinely like I have a crisis of faith with that. Like I genuinely do not know from watching this Raptors team and uh, the the way that they've started this season and the way that the Nets started that that I would do that in the same way. Which again seems yeah. insane yeah. to me, given that you know I am from a basketball standpoint. There has been like I, a handful of players that I have enjoyed more than Kevin Durant, or who I think are, have been better than Kevin Durant. At the most important no, thing I, ever. I agree. I mean, I think you just have to be comfortable with what the cost is going to be, right? I mean, here's one guy that's under contract for four years, and the other yeah. who's under contract for two. And you would have Durant for another two years, um, but Siakam is younger. Mm-hmm. There's more of a, you know, if you're if he's part of your future and he loves it there, there's no reason he can't be there for eight or ten years, right? Yeah. Like so, that's that's the whole, you know, kind of, you know, the risk reward to, you know, any contract here. You know, it's it's that, you know, Durant's got a little more length, um, but you've got a younger player, a, a really good player who's, uh, you know, developed into. A, Top fifteen, top twenty player in the NBA. Yeah, it's just it's just wild to me that it's a discussion at this point. Like it, it really would be. It's not just an automatic. Of course, you'd press that button and do it. Which I felt like, uh, yeah, during even during the off season, I went. You, you would have to just do this thing. I, I, like I've been watching the Raptors to start this year, and even just their last game, right against the Hawks, and it's a Hawks team that's not exactly uh, the most uh, defensively uh, stute, uh, stute team. Like they're yeah, they're not stout, but. Man, you see those two guys like Siakam and Scotty Barnes take turns slashing to the basket as two players that can handle the ball at six foot nine, who can both get to the rim and how Scotty's not completely refined yet, but Siakam has sort of figured that out and you go, Oh, I like I can see how this works over the next three years and how you continue to just try to tinker and find pieces around it. Um, the other part of it though that makes it a think a little bit more difficult, and this is why I even asked you about Durant's market is it's very early in the season, right? It's hard to make uh, grandiose judgments, but nobody looks that great. Like the Bucks, we saw what happened last year. They get one injury, and who knows what Giannis can carry. The Celtics look phenomenal, but yeah, outside of them to start the season, like I didn't expect Portland to be at the top of the Western Conference. I didn't expect the Spurs and the Jazz to look as good as anybody. Maybe some of these other teams out West end up normalizing, but a lot of these groups probably have to be thinking to themselves, you know what, maybe we do need to shake up and maybe we do need to sacrifice more for a Durant because this season is a lot more flat than we anticipated it being. I just don't know if the Raptors can be one of those groups anymore, given what they've seen. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably the most parity that we'll, we'll – I mean, we're still seven or eight games in, but, you know, we'll, the most parity that we've seen, there's no clear-cut favorite, even though Milwaukee is, you know, undefeated. I'm still – I still have a little bit of concerns with their, their depth here. So um, that was the big thing why I said in the offseason why Brooklyn should hold them because they'll get a point in the season here, whether it be December or maybe January, where – you're thinking, you know what, we're, we're one player away from winning it or competing for a championship or mm-hmm. getting to an NBA Finals here, and that the price would probably increase compared to what it was in, uh, in July. Yeah, and that's still the case for the Raptors, right, is you even look at it and go, okay, yeah, Siakam is great. You think about this future, but you're an organization that won a championship because you went out and got Kawhi. And, yeah, what does it look like if you have a Siakam on the table who might be the best guy available out of the entire group? The Nets decide not to just burn this thing down to the ground. You throw maybe a pick. Maybe you don't even need to. Like I don't even know what the value of these the, uh, of Siakam to the Nets would be now. 
Um, maybe you do try to make a run during uh, like this flat, flat season. Um, last one for you. Uh, I need to go completely off topic. What do you think the mood is in LA right now? Because every time I go to watch the Clippers, um, like Kawhi's not playing. <laughs> they're like, he just had like the, his entire Clippers tenure. He's not really played outside of the bubble when they choked. And I, I keep tuning into it and going, wait, this is the team that everyone once again said was on paper the best, but Kawhi doesn't yeah. play. Like it, it, it feels like they are benefiting almost more than anyone right now because of the Lakers and Nets drama. Yeah, eventually the benefit of the doubt for the Clippers is going to run its course. That's <laughs> for mean, me. It, we can't keep on it. saying they look good on paper. And I, I, I'm, like in the offseason, you know, I like I liked them a lot just because they're, they're depth here. But if at the end of the day, if, if and, and how great of a coach Ty Lue is, at the end of the day, if Kawhi is not going to be there, you know, they're probably in a back end fighting to get into their their playing team. They're uh-huh. a six seed. They're a seven seed. You know, I just – Everything has not come together in L.A. Um, I mean, we're seven or eight games in. I mean, you, you're saved by a Paul George buzzer beater or get against Houston here. So, yeah, I mean, eventually time runs out. Like, you know, the same in Brooklyn. Eventually time runs out. The same in Philadelphia. All these different teams where, you know, the paper we put away and now you get to see the real life, you know, what's on, on, on the court here. And, you know, next year if we're in the same situation – or, you know, a month from now in the same situation, they won't, they won't be able to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I just can't imagine being Paul George signing up for this or, you know, and they'd had to trade for him, whatever. It wasn't like he came from the best situation being stuck on a thunder team that wasn't going anywhere, but how Paul George hurt every year too. (laughs) Like he should probably be managed to a certain degree. And like the other night he's playing sick I'm going, how does he feel about just Kawhi wanting every night off, not starting games until the second quarter, uh, limited minutes, limited uh, anything, complete star treatment. This is a guy who's also been an all-NBA player in the league, an all-star in the league, uh, supposed to be kind of the co-captain, has to carry the entire load. The rest of the guys, it just it it feels bad, and it feels like it's not getting any better. And, yeah, the... The on-paper superstars. I'm I'm starting to again. If we're talking about crisis of faith, this is this is one for me. I don't I don't think that I'm I'm backing my Clippers for uh, Western Conference Finals or coming out of the West this year. Uh, pick that I had from earlier in the season. Uh, let's just say that Bobby Marks, uh, you're the best man. Thanks for making time today. Yeah, you got to talk. To you. Thanks. Take care, man. Uh, Bobby Marks, front office insider for ESPN, former assistant manager of the Nets, and yeah, like okay. Let's tie all these things together today because that's fun. I like cross-sport stuff. So John Morosi calls Bryce Harper not only a superstar but a grinder, right? Just a guy who loves the game, a passionate player who resonates with the market. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than that. And what do you think right now the Leafs are closer to in terms of a storyline because they want to be competitors. They want to be champions. Do you feel like they are closer to a team with superstar players that would do anything to win that love the game right now that are passionate about the game that feel a connection to the markets and would be considered as grinders? Would you consider them grinders? I'm not, I'm really not trying to put spin on the ball here. This is just an open question to anybody who is listening to this. Or would you think about them closer to the Nets where guys seem unhappy? Where guys have not been able to set culture 
as the best players on the team and who have not been able to grind because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, like we can talk about Steve Nash all you want, but Steve Nash should be an eye opener to some people, at least in this market a little bit, if you reflect on it about how it's not the coach that's supposed to set the culture. Okay. That was a thing that people thought of with Babcock because he was such a presence coming off of the Olympic success. He was Mr. Popular. Everybody thought Babcock was the greatest winner. He wrote basically the Costanza flyer of a book. Uh, if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, that's Babcock's book. It's, it's like Costanza's book in Curb where they're like, this is more of a flyer than it is a book. But it was on winning. And he and Lou were supposed to be here at the top of the culture and Shanahan, blah, 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 blah. That's not what, who Sheldon Keefe is. It's not his responsibility to set the culture for this organization. It's about the best players. And you're seeing that right now with these three teams. The Phillies, their, their best player is setting the culture. Bryce Harper is setting it. He's talking to Alex Baum about what to be looking for with McCullers before he goes yard on the very next AB. Attention to detail, success, swagger, attitude, all of it. Brooklyn, polar opposite end. One of the most talented players who's ever existed. Two of them, actually, like honest to God. Kyrie, I've made, everybody makes this point now, so it's kind of played out. But in terms of just raw talent, if we did like pound-for-pound pound rankings of basketball players the way that we did with fighters, Kyrie would be one of the pound-for-pound pound most talented basketball players we've ever seen. He deserves all the credit in the world for working on that talent and refining it the way that he has. But he is just incredible. To be his height and be able to score around the basket the way that he does, create space the way that he does, is it's, it's astonishing when... He's on all the talent in the world. They can't set a culture because they're unhappy. They're not leaders. Durant is not a leader. Neither is Kyrie. I think if you're the Leafs, you should be shown these two examples. You should be going to Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and saying, which do you want to be? Do you want to be revered the way that Bryce Harper is right now? Or do you want in a couple of weeks for people to be talking about you? Like people are talking about the basketball side of things with Kyrie and KD, that you are two of the two most talented guys on the planet, but you can't lead. Quick break. Quick bets. And a couple of things of what we missed. JD is the Bryce Harper of Toronto Sports Radio. I love it. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, is it sad that I heard this song and I thought about me strutting to go buy discount Halloween candy? (laughs) That's like the swagger walk was not for being a ladies man. It was for just this guy's going to the grocery store and looking for 90 banger boxes of discount Halloween candy. That's a shameless purchase, by the way. That's like you you go to the till post Halloween, you accept the shame. <laughs> that's not for anyone other than you. You're like that's this the cashier that transaction like I remember when you know you were younger 
you felt embarrassed to buy condoms, right? It was like, oh, God, I don't want to do this. They're going to know I have sex. No. <laughs> no, you'd have to, like, you'd go up and there's that aisle. I swear, the entire aisle leading up to the counter of the last second purchases where you go, why, okay, like yogurt-covered almonds <laughs> for $12 right near the till. Mags, like all that's there, gum. So you can be like, yep, uh, gum. I came in here for gum and uh, the $12 almonds at the front and also these condoms. Yep, thank you. Goodbye. Right? The true shame purchase should actually be the, the way that you have felt about condoms in the past should be the way that you actually feel about buying the discount Halloween candy like I might do today. I'm trying to avoid it. I really, I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to stay strong. But then I know that I'm just going to get home later and just be full of regrets. It's going to be a tough one. I'll keep you posted. Anyways, uh, it's time for action. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings app to get in on the action. Must be 19 plus. Must live in Ontario. And as always, please play responsibly. So, uh, yeah, we have football tomorrow. I don't know why I keep thinking today is Thursday. I think it's maybe I'm being hopeful, but Thursday night football is just like, don't watch it. You don't need to watch it. Just watch Astros Phillies. There's a Bruins Rangers game. You can watch maybe lightning hurricanes Thursday night. Maybe you take some time to watch Paolo Banchero play the golden state warriors. That's not bad. That's kind of fun. But don't watch the Eagles play the Texans. It's a 14-point spread. What, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to say about this um, in terms of like picking my side of the line. Yeah, I'm taking the Eagles. Why would anybody in their right mind put money on Houston? Especially when they didn't trade Brandon Cooks and you would go, well, that's a good thing for them. Uh, is it? Because Brandon Cooks was told not to show up to the facility and his tweet yesterday, if the, any of you missed it, wasn't good. Brandon Cooks, very not happy. Uh, this is what he tra- uh, tweeted uh, after he was not let, or the, after he was not moved on trade deadline day. Uh, and I quote, don't take a man's kindness for granted. Covered for the lies for too long. Those days are done. Cross the line with playing with my career. <laughs> yeah, I'm not betting on the Texans. They stink, okay? Everybody likes them because they have Damian Pierce in their fantasy leagues. But no, the Davis Mills thing is over. That's over and done with. Uh, I just watched the way that Philly handled the Steelers. And yeah, that's interstate. There's a little bit more juice there. But yeah, you got to be kidding me. You think that team is in a good place right now? Man, how does Houston fumble the bag on this one too? Like, just let them go for a cheap price. This is what happens. The market is the market. If you didn't get what other receivers were getting, if you didn't get the price of a Chase Claypool, too bad, he's gone. You have to move off of players like that. Also, we've seen this time and time again in sports. You got a veteran player on a bad team. You, you do them, you show them faith by moving them. And for the Texans, who were just letting, like, a 
weird preacher type figure run their organization who finally moved off of that, who finally got out from Deshaun Watson for them that now have this. Sorry, but this is now the thing of note for your franchise. And yeah, if it ta- it, it's a bit of a tailspin to end of the year. You got nobody but to blame but yourselves. So idiotic decision by them. I don't care if Brandon Cooks' final offer was a seventh round pick. You trade him. You do not keep him, hold him hostage, and have him tweet, don't, I've covered for the lies for too long. Also, he better make good on this. He better make good. Because it would, it's quite a, it'd be quite a thing for Brandon Cooks to give us something revelatory on the Houston Texans that would somehow make them look worse. Either way, uh, I will be backing the Eagles. I will be, here's a tease for tomorrow. I'm going to be taking just about every rushing prop on the planet for Philadelphia because they're going to run the ball down their throats. I don't know what the number is yet. I haven't looked at it in terms of any of those rushing props, but they, they can't set the Miles Sanders ones too high. And this is a day where you can almost bank on like the Kenneth Gainwells of the world. You can even throw some of those in the props. I know that Boffo likes those props. He loves the like backup running back, <laughs> the backup running back who only needs the one catch or the one play to do it. Yeah, you're not you're not touching. Are you touching this game? I'm. I don't know if I am. I don't think I am. Yeah. But and you know what? Like it's so frustrating too because this would normally be. I'd like to bet the numbers, not the team. And normally I would take two touchdown dog at home and. And go with the home dog. Especially but, Thursday night football, too, right? right? They have, like, it's the, the track record of the home team that's an underdog covering on those short weeks is, like, it's way stacked in their favor. Exactly. And, but, like, I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I feel like the Eagles are going to get up. They're an elite rushing team. They'll kill the clock once they're up. And I just think that I don't see how there's any way Houston wins this game or covers this game, obviously. So I just... I think it's a stay away, but definitely leaning towards the Eagles. And I like your your uh, thought process on the rushing props there. Yeah. Um, I'm excited uh, to not watch this game. <laughs> yeah, I will not watch that. This is going to get this. This is going to get absolutely zero time on JD's TV. I'm sorry, but like, there's just, there's just no way I, I can't, I can't do this. I, I genuinely think if you're watching this football game, and you're not an Eagles fan. I'm not, you're not a Texans fan because those don't exist up here. I've never met a Texans fan. Like, tweet at me if you exist. I, I dare you. I don't think you exist. And if you do, it's probably a bot or you're trying to get attention. But, yeah, I don't. There are some Eagles fans here. There are some Eagles fans in Toronto. There are no Houston fans. I don't know how the hell you become a Houston fan outside of the area when the Cowboys existed and had such a stranglehold for so long. It's like this is like a very much a senator situation. You got to be from around the arena for you to like that team more than the established one. Anyways. All right, Bafo, what'd we miss? All right. So kind of touched on it a little bit. NFL trade deadline was yesterday and uh, a lot of moves were made. Bears got Chase Claypool from the Steelers for a second Vikings grabbed uh, TJ Hawkinson from the Lions. Uh, I mean, wh- what are your, what's your thought process on this? What do you think? Uh, do you think the teams did well? Uh, Bears getting Claypool for a second. Was that too much for you? So, yeah, I'll run down a few of these and basically rapid fire some of the, the moves. Um, I thought the Bears giving up their second round pick for Claypool was too much. Receivers are expensive, though. Like, if, if you look around the league right now, 
Think on some of the offseason trades and how few guys moved. I, I thought that there were going to be more receivers that got traded. And so the price seems like kind of unavoidable. Receivers are going for a lot. Look at what, and, and I know Claypool is not Tyreek, and I know he's not Devontae Adams, but think about what those guys went for. That He's the only receiver moved other than Kadarius Tony, right? I, I think that's the case. Well, and, oh, Cal- and Calvin, Calvin Ridley. Ridley. But Calvin Ridley doesn't count. I'm sorry. Calvin no. Ridley is not. It, he's a, Calvin Ridley's an idea. <laughs> like you traded for an idea. Also, I'm not really sure how the Jaguars decided that they were going to set their receiver room uh, in stone for next year. Uh, when they're having the season they're having with the, the idea of Calvin Ridley. That was a bit of an oddity to me, but either way. Um, yeah, I thought that it was too much to trade for Claypool, that he's a little bit more of a riskier player. I don't... I, the credentials with Claypool's personality seem to be pretty established at this point. Um, when you're more of the TikTok guy than Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, that can be a bit of an issue. But I do like that they're investing in their young quarterback and they're giving him a weapon. He's a big target, and obviously the kid can play when he's on. I thought a second was a bit too much when I saw it. I went, whew, especially since it's the Bears' second, not the one that they got back in the Roquan Smith trade. Um, But either way, I I don't mind when you invest in young stars. And what was the, the narrative around the Bears going into the season? It was, hey, they don't have enough playmakers. They only have Mooney. Well, now you have another guy. Now your data set on fields you can get a more complete picture of, right? Like if you look at the New York Jets, for example, when Zach Wilson was playing and he didn't have any receivers, he didn't have any pieces around him. People go, ah, you got to give him an extra year because you got to see what's going on here. You can make a better assessment of that situation with that. Um, The Vikings Hawkinson trade was pretty interesting to me um, because yeah, second and a fourth for Hawkinson. I I don't know. It seems a bit much too. I I thought that's a win for the Lions. It's a, you're robbing from within your division and you're taking from a team that, I don't think can win a Super Bowl this year. Uh, the Vikings looked at it, though, and said, hey, the NFC's wide open. It's a little bit of the, uh, the NBA thing, the flat league thing, and said, why not be more aggressive? I think that the biggest winner from this trade deadline is just simply NFL fans. Like, when are you accustomed to having a trade deadline where there's buzz with football? It just sort of comes and goes, and you're like, oh, right, nothing happened. I, I've, I recall deadlines where it's like a defensive tackle gets traded for a third-round pick, and that's it. Like, tell me what the sexy trade deadline move has been in your guys' lifetime. There's one that actually sticks out. It what? was, And it was a complete shocker. It was when, and you would know this actually, it was when Percy Harvin yeah. went to the Seahawks. Yeah. That had to be it. No, but that's that's what I mean. That's that's the biggest trade deadline move that I can remember. But I, I thought as a Seahawks fan, that would be mostly just me. I don't remember big moves like this happening at the deadline. Like Roquan Smith, Bradley Chubb, Chase Claypool, Calvin Ridley, TJ Hawkinson, these are household names. Like, that's a lot of players that have recognition to some interesting teams. And for the first time in a long time, um, I remember there being pressure on the teams that didn't make moves, which I actually think was pretty fascinating too. So yeah, I'm going to keep doing kind of this rapid fire, but I will say this. Um, The second and the fifth from the Ravens for Roquan Smith, I'm torn on it. He's an off-ball linebacker. Um... The Ravens draft just about as well as anybody. So I do think that it's a little bit of a Raptors situation where you go, huh? And I know the Raptors have been, it's, it's been a little spottier lately, right? Like the Raptors get a lot of credit for that stuff, but whatever. Um, this is a spot to me where you traded more valuable picks than what other organizations give up. 
And yeah, Roquan Smith is an impact player, but he's got to come in. He's got to learn a new defense. He's got to fit in with a new group. And do I really feel like the Ravens, that was priority number one? No. I think the Ravens are a bit of a loser of this draft. Or sorry, of this free agency class. Oh God, two scripts in a row. Of this trade deadline. Because they need a receiver. Uh, Here's a test. Name for me the third receiver on the Baltimore Ravens. By the way, the, the third receiver for the Baltimore Ravens uh, is, has been playing uh, as the second receiver uh, for a, a full game now. You know who it is, Boff? Isn't it uh, Demarcus Robinson? Correct. It is Demarcus Robinson. They've got Duvernay, who is a nice player, who's a pretty decent player. Like, I think he's a playmaker and, you know, he's one of those guys where he, he's just the, hey, you're probably underappreciated a little bit, but you're not the guy that the team is supposed to be leaning on. Give Lamar Jackson some help. You've got two injuries right now for Mark Andrews. Is Mark Andrews really good? Hell yes. He's one of the best tight ends in football. Is he a Travis Kelsey type where he can be your number one option? No. Like, get somebody else. Rashad Bateman is a Band-Aid at this point. This is two seasons of his career. Guy can't stay on the field. And even when he has been on the field, it's like, all right, he's a bit of a trick-or-treat guy. Some nights he shows up, some nights, mm, not so much. But he's a Band-Aid. Lamar's in a contract year. He's a superstar. He continues to carry this offense. You also, by the way, just lost your starting running back, who everyone was really excited about, and his backup, who just came back, is dinged up too and has a hamstring issue. So you should probably be a little bit careful with that if you're the Ravens. I just, I, I don't like that... They continue to just ask Lamar to do too much. And in a contract year, if I was Lamar Jackson, this would piss me off. I'd be going, wait, so you want me to have no playmakers and I got to continue to run the rock. I got to be the guy who carries this offense. I don't throw down field. And then you guys play the card that I'm not a passer, that I can't make plays down the field when I've got nobody down there that can make plays. Like, why didn't they get Brandon Cooks? He could have done the Hollywood Brown thing from a year ago. Hey, deep balls for Lamar that he can throw over the top of the defense or those little bubble screen plays where it's just, hey, give it to him in space and let him see him operate. How does that trade not get consummated? I I don't understand it. So, yeah, if I'm Lamar, listen, money's going to be all that matters, right? The Ravens, he loves Baltimore. Baltimore loves him. He is an icon there. Like, you know, I've been to Baltimore and it's just like it's Lamar's. That is Lamar's city. When we're talking about like, hey, who's the guy in Philly from earlier? Is it it's in Baltimore? It is one man, and it's one man alone, and he wears number eight. How do you not pay him? How do you let him walk all the way up where you're going to have to end up giving him more money now? Like I'm just saying, Lamar's not giving any discounts. And you're going to provide him in an AFC where they're supposed to be the like number three team. And he's to reply to the chiefs who, by the way, um, already went out and got a bunch of new toys from Mahomes during the off season and still went out and got Kadarius Tony. You're supposed to respond to the bills who have the best offense in football and still added Naheem Hines. And you get nothing. I just thought that was a pretty loser move by the Ravens, by the way, quick one on the bills. I like Naheem Hines. 
I like that teams are aggressive and say that we're in win now mode. We're not going to wait for James Cook. But I thought that was a tough look for James Cook. They just drafted that in the second round. A guy who's supposed to be a pass catcher out of the backfield. Running back is not exactly a position that is supposed to be, you know, weighted on. So to me, it's not like they didn't give up much. They gave up Zach Moss and what a sixth. Like it was a pretty much a nothing move. But I did think that it was a little bit of a, huh, all right, that's tough. That's one for James Cook. That's not easy. I agree. I mean, I, it, it doesn't make too much sense, but I think that they're just, I just don't think they care, man. I think they just want to load up and say, we just want somebody that's better than the next best thing. And yeah. is Naeem Hines better than Zach Moss? Yes. So if he's somebody that you can just plug in and mm-hmm. you're automatically better then. I really don't think that being in the whole front office care. Like they just want to, they just want to be an elite team here. Yeah. Which, which I'm totally fine with. Again, you add good players to a good team. That's totally fine. Um, I do still wish that they found a way to get a guy who can run between the tackles better. I think that's the one missing component of the bills offense. Um, I still think that they're in the sweepstakes for Odell Beckham jr. Whatever that means at some point, maybe that is the Ravens, by the way. Um, maybe that's what they're banking on, but either way, somebody's going to grab Odell and it ain't going to be the Rams because why the hell would anyone go play for a team that's not making the playoffs and has uh, fraud coach, fraud QB. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense to do that. Um, lastly, there is the Denver trade. As the proud owner of Denver's pick, and I do say me, Seahawks fan, I would like to say Thank you, Denver. Thank you for doing the right thing and moving off Bradley Chubb. And thank you, Miami, because you gave up a really heavy price to get this guy. Like a first-round pick, Miami's now lost all those. Remember when Miami was the team that had every single pick in the universe? Now they don't. And that's fine, except for feels a little premature. I got to be honest. And I know one of them happened because of a tampering charge with Tom Brady. But if I was a Dolphins fan, I'd be excited for Bradley Chubb because you need a better pass rush. There's no doubt about it. Now you got Phillips. Now you got Chubb. That feels good. Mm. How close do you feel to the top two teams in the AFC? I know they beat the Bills, so I don't want any Dolphins fans in the mentions because you beat the Bills, but that was the Sun. The Sun beat the Bills. (laughs) I don't think that the person now, they outgained you by like a billion yards. So, yeah, the Sun beat the Bills. Uh, the Dolphins were there to reap the rewards. Anyway, um, Denver, good on them for recognizing who they are. And thank you, Denver, for trading Bradley Chubb. Uh, I still think that defense is going to ball out, though. I think that defense is nasty. And I would, if I was a Broncos fan, I'd actually be pretty stoked about this trade because uh, you're not doing anything this year. Anyways, that was fun today. Oh, uh, last thing quickly. Uh, Connor Brown out six to eight months with a torn ACL. Heartbreaking. Obviously love Connor Brown. Good guy, good player. I think he'll be a Leaf next year. I think they'll revisit that in free agency, and I think that his contract is going to be very interesting because he's a guy who can play with good players. Um, But I do wonder how, I hate to say this, but how this impacts things for him in terms of his value. And I do wonder if the Leafs, when they reconfigure things, will want more players like him. I think that they would, and I think that he would have interest being here. Uh Subscribe, review, leave five stars, share it. Talk to you tomorrow.